Start out with a chihuahua bark and a growl. Um, it's okay, buddy. It's just rain. It's what we call a little bit of rain. It's what we call having a little bit of rain. Um, you know, I was thinking about this news I read last night. Right before I went to bed, I saw a news headline. And it was like, eight people dead at a concerto. About eight people died at a concerto. And I just figured, oh, it's a shooting. And then I realized, oh, the headlines don't mention a shooting. Therefore, it's not a shooting. If the headline doesn't say eight people dead at a shooting at a concerto, it means it wasn't a mass shooting. And I looked at the, I looked at maybe one article, and I was like, oh, they got trampled to death. And I went to bed. I concluded that they got trampled to death. And, you know, at that, I went to sleep. Probably went to sleep five hours later, but let's just cut to the chase. I went to bed after that. Um, but today my friend Miles messaged me about it and apparently they died of cardiac arrest. And the rumor is that somebody was going around with a syringe and shooting people up with some mystery substance, a mystery serum. They were vacking people. They were giving people the vac against their will at a concert, at a concerto. Uh, but it was funny because it immediately brought to mind, I don't know if you'd call it an urban legend or what, but it was a story I was told this is right after Marilyn Manson became famous. So this would have been around the time that Sweet Dreams, the cover of Sweet Dreams came out. It was when Marilyn Manson was brand new. Merlin Man, It was when Merlin Manson was brand new. And at that time, like kids especially, but people in general were still under the impression that Merlin Manson was scary. And I went over to my neighbor's house. And, you know, when I think about when Merlin Manson got famous... I think of myself being a little bit older, but in reality, I was still a little kid. I was probably about nine years old. And I went over to my neighbor's house, who was also a little kid. And he told me a story about Merlin Manson, a Merlin Manson concerto. Stupid, really stupid. But anyway, I, he told me a story about how his cousin went to a Marilyn Manson concert and he's like, my cousin went to a Marilyn Manson concert and went in the mosh pit. And there was a lot of mosh pit lore back then. Not just, there was, this is a few years before people settled into just calling it the pit. Oh, did you go in the pit? Oh, you went to a concert? Did you go in the pit? This is a few years before people just started calling it the pit. And this is when people still called it the mosh pit. And there was all kinds of mosh pit lore. All kinds of crazy stories about what happens in the mosh pit. Oh, it's so dangerous. It's unruly. This happens in the mosh pit. Oh, this, this happened to so-and-so. And so this was a mosh pit story. It's what we call a mosh pit story. And so my neighbor, is like, my cousin went to a, Mer a Merlin Manson concert, and he went in the mosh pit, and there was a guy going around in the mosh pit sticking people with needles. He was shooting people up with a, a syringe. And I don't know, maybe it was an AIDS story, you know, because there was a lot of AIDS stuff going on there. A lot of urban legends centered around people shooting other people up with AIDS. So it might have been an AIDS story. It might have combined multiple urban legends. But he said that, yeah, his cousin went in the mosh pit at a, at a Merlin Manson concert and somebody was going around shooting people up with some sort of needle, some sort of syringe. And when the friend told me the story, I knew immediately it was bullshit. Immediately I knew it was bullshit. And he said it in this quiet but dramatic way, like, my cousin went to a Merlin Manson concert and there was a guy shooting people up with a syringe. And so I immediately knew it was bullshit. But, that, you know, there were all kinds of urban legends about Merlin Manson. I mean, there were famous ones. The famous urban legends about him that everybody knows were that he had some of his ribs removed, his floating ribs. I think a lot of people, myself included, were introduced to the term floating rib because of the Marilyn Manson story. And they were like, he had his floating ribs removed so he could suck his own dicky. That was a big one that made his rounds. I heard that one in person. You know, all this was pre-internet, so I heard all this in person. But the idea was that Marilyn Manson had his floating ribs removed so he could suck his own dicky. The other one was that he was the actor who played Paul in The Wonder Years. And people believed these. 
People believe those stories because they want to believe. When people used to tell urban legends, they wanted to believe. They liked the idea of it. And that's kind of like my friend telling me about some guy going around the mosh pit at a Merlin Manson concert, shooting people up with needles. He didn't say whether it was drugs. He didn't say whether it was AIDS. He didn't say it was a you know, mystery serum. It was just some guy was shooting people up with something. And there's sort of a built-in warning to that. Like, oh, be careful. If you go to a scary Marilyn Manson concert and enter the, the terrifying mosh pit, this could happen to you. There's sort of a built-in warning to that. But it wasn't like he told me that in that way. It's not like I was at risk of going to a Marilyn Manson concert. I was nine years old and not interested in Marilyn Manson. He said it to me, though, with this sense of drama. It was more just like, hey, Marilyn Manson's a scary guy, and let's make him even scarier. Let's make Marilyn Manson even scarier. Something really bad could happen to you in the mosh pit at a Marilyn Manson concert. That was basically the gist of it. And I mentioned that to Miles this morning. I was like, oh, the Marilyn Manson story, it turns out, it comes true. And he didn't know immediately what I was talking about, which makes me wonder if that anecdote, if that lie, let's call it a lie, the lie that my friend told me, it makes me wonder if that was an actual story that made its rounds or if I just happened to hear this crossover urban legend that he made up where it was the AIDS story, the Marilyn Manson story all combined into one. Because Miles reminded me that there was an urban legend back then that was that, oh, there's people out there in the streets and they'll shoot you up with an AIDS needle and then tell you, congratulations, you just got AIDS. That was one that made its rounds, and I did actually hear that story. I heard that story in the flesh. Somebody did tell me that, that, oh, there's, did you hear? There's, there's people going around shooting people up with AIDS needles and then telling them, congratulations. And there was another one I heard back then, too, where it was that, oh, be careful if you go to get gas, if you go to the gas station, people are putting AIDS needles in the pump handle so that when you go to pump your gas, you get stuck with an AIDS needle and you get AIDS. That one made its rounds, and that's another one that I heard in, in the flesh, too. I imagine that one came about because, like, someone's dad got AIDS and needed to come up with a, a lie because he was actually probably going out and having gay sex secretly but he needed to come up with a cover when it turned out he had AIDS. So it's like, I don't know what happened. I went, I went to go pump my gas and somebody put an AIDS needle in there. I'm not having sex with men. It was an AIDS needle stuck in my gas pump. I imagine that's how that one came about. But those stories were all over the place. And, you know, it's not that we have any less bullshit now. In many ways, we have more bullshit today, I think. But the difference is back then there were a lot more little anecdotes like that. Like there were urban legends where it was just some anecdote about something happening to somebody somewhere. Whereas now I feel like our, our version of urban legends today are larger in scale. They're social and political. Like people spread utter nonsense. I mean like the thing I was talking about last night about Colin Kaepernick. How people legitimately believe and continue to perpetuate this story that he lost his job as the best quarterback to ever live because he stood up against racism. That might as well be an urban legend that people are perpetuating, but it's larger in scope. A lot of our urban legends today involve social and political issues, whereas pre-internet, they tended to be, oh, you know, people are sticking AIDS needles in gas pumps. Oh, if you go to a Marilyn Manson concert... Some guy will stick you with an AIDS needle and then perform back alley surgery on you so you can suck your own dicky. You know, stories tended to be like that. Uh, you know, and I heard many of these in, in the in person. You know, it, it amazes me. It, it always amazes me how urban le legends managed to reach me back then. Like urban legends that turned out to be national in, in scope. Like the little Bow Wow rumor made its way through my junior high when I was in, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade. Nobody was using the internet then. Barely anybody was using it. So it didn't come from the internet. But some kid heard it. And if you're not familiar, there was a an urban legend that made its way through schools everywhere, which was that little Bow Wow got molested or raped by his limo driver. And it was once again a story that people wanted to believe. People got a thrill out of telling it. 
and it was infectious. Like there was a day, it was almost like a national holiday where there was a day where if you walked through the locker bay at my junior high on this day, you would have heard this story echoing back and forth in the locker bay. Kids were just telling each other. They, they couldn't resist the urge to tell each other. I, I, I distinctly remember walking through the locker bay and hearing kids go, hey, did you hear about little Bow Wow? He got effed by his limo driver. People took a great amount of joy in it, too. There were people, people got a thrill out of talking about it. Like people enjoyed the fact that little Bow Wow was sexually assaulted by a man he trusted to drive him places. And it turned out it wasn't true. And people got a thrill out of telling it. They wanted to believe it for some reason. Oh, this young celebrity got violated by the man that is supposed to drive him places. And it, it echoed throughout my entire junior high for one day. It was the leading headline. Where did it come from, though? Like, because somebody came to school that day and heard it somewhere. Like, nobody was getting new information at school. Like, nobody went over to the payphone, which we did have, but nobody went over to the payphone and got a phone call from their cousin that day telling them about Little Bow Wow. Somebody heard that the night before or the, that morning, and they went in. But, like, where'd they hear it from, and how did it manage to travel across the entire country? You know, I've talked a little bit about this before, about slang. Like, how did slang spread in those days? Because you can see the way that it spreads online. And as a result, slang comes and goes a lot faster than it used to. Like kids start saying something today online and adults pick up on it a month later and it becomes uncool. But pre-internet, it was always amazing to me how slang made its rounds. And I have to imagine that that happened organically where like somebody went to go stay at their dad's house in another part of the state and brought with them the latest slang they learned in the city. And then somebody picked up on it or, you know, somebody's cousin came to visit from New Jersey and they, they came to visit that summer and they brought with them the new slang. I have to imagine that slang spread organically and urban legends too, for that matter. But what blew my mind is like when the internet came around and you were able to look these urban legends up and one of the early, some of the most popular websites early on in the internet before these websites became political fact checkers. But before these websites became political fact checkers, they just discussed urban legends and would tell you whether there was any truth to them or not. And what blew my mind is when I got the internet and was going to these websites is that I had heard many of, the, many of these stories myself organically pre-internet. And one of them was, I think I've talked about this before, but when I got to junior high and I was in seventh grade, there was this rumor spreading around that the previous year, this one girl, and she was a real girl. I didn't know her because she was a little bit older, but there was this rumor that, oh, did you know last year Beth Adkins raised her hand in Mr. Baglaw's science class? They were doing, Mr. Baglaw was doing like a, a Q&A where the, everybody in the class could ask him any question about science that they wanted. And Beth Adkins raised her hand and said, she asked, why does cum taste like salt? That story actually made its rounds and people attributed it to this very real girl who had a slutty reputation. It was a girl who was known for being promiscuous at a very young age. And somebody took that story that apparently was national. Apparently this story about a girl, because you can look it up online about how there was this urban legend that was told everywhere about a girl in science class who raised her hand and asked the science teacher, why does cum taste like salt? And it was framed as if it was like an innocent, but not so innocent question. Like it was innocent in that the girl didn't think it through. She didn't think about the implications of asking that question, but it's not so innocent because it implies that she's tasted cum. But what's so interesting is that not only did people attribute it to a very real girl who went to my school, but they even named the teacher, Mr. Baglaw who I had. They were like, did you know that she asked Mr. Baglaw that question? And so that blows my mind that that story even made it to my school and that people were telling that exact story about a girl in their school in other parts of the country. It blows my mind that that would happen. It's like this template. It's like a template or a, uh, it's almost like ad libs where you plug in a name, you plug in a location 
and the story makes his rounds. And there was a lot of that going on. There were a lot of these bullshit anecdotes. And in that pre-internet era, those would just go around. You couldn't challenge them. Like you would get a sense that they were lying. Like when the kid told me that his cousin, and it was always a cousin, it's a cliche about urban legends that it's always something that happened to your cousin or your cousin's friend, but that's true. Like people always mentioned their cousin. It was always something involving a cousin. And I think the reason for that is because when you say that it happened to your cousin or somebody your cousin knew, you can't really verify it because cousins are all over the place. You can't go ask the cousin about it, but it gives it some credibility because it's like a relative of yours. Oh, it happened to a relative of yours. I have to believe it. But because it's a cousin, it's far enough removed from you that you're not going to talk to the cousin. You don't know the cousin. But because it happened to somebody's cousin, it gives it this air of credibility. But your intuition always told you it was bullshit. And when that kid told me that, oh, at a Marilyn Manson concert, there was a guy sneaking around the mosh pit in the shadows, sticking people with an AIDS needle. I knew it was bullshit, but I also couldn't, I didn't say anything because you can't prove them wrong. There was no way to prove those stories wrong. So they made their rounds because you couldn't verify them, nor could you reject them outright. You just kind of had to listen to them. And a lot of conversation involved those kinds of stories. There were a lot of them involving Ted Bundy. A lot of them involved bad things happening to people. And they were told in this sort of warning sort of way. They were told, like, be careful. But in reality, it wasn't like they were warning you about anything because it wasn't relevant to your life at all. And going back to Ted Bundy, because Ted Bundy was from Washington State and is obviously infamous, you heard a lot of Ted Bundy urban legends. They always involved like somebody's mom's friend almost got abducted by Ted Bundy. Somebody's mom's teacher's friend's sister, Ted Bundy pulled over and tried to pick her up. Oh, my, my mom's friend was at a park. And t guess who was there? Ted Bundy. I heard that story about three times, which is a lot. That might not sound like a lot to you, but hearing three different Ted Bundy, hearing, hearing three different instances of Ted Bundy lore is a lot. And you would hear it a lot. Like I, when I came to Evergreen, when I went to the Evergreen State College, this might be true because he did kill a girl there. Ted Bundy did kill a girl at the Evergreen State College. She was leaving a concerto and she never got home. And it turns out she was one of Ted Bundy's victims. And he did come to Olympia. Because the thing is, what made the Ted Bundy rumors so pervasive is that he lived in this state and he did drive all over. So there's a reason. There's, you can understand how those, those stories sort of picked up. But one of them was there's this shitty apartment building right across from the campus that's pretty much the dorms point 2.0. The dorms 2.0. And it's basically, it's this apartment building, like every college has these, but this one in particular is basically on the campus. It's right across the street. And so whenever kids move out of the dorms, they always end up moving into this particular apartment building. It used to be called Cooper's Glen, might be called something else now. And everybody, of course, calls it the Glen. Oh, he, she's moving into the Glen. But there was a rumor that Ted Bundy used to stay in the Glen. The rumor was that Ted Bundy had a friend who lived in the Glen, and when he was in Olympia, he would stay there. Could be true, but it could also be a bullshit urban legend that just made its way through the generations of college students. A lot of Ted Bundy stories here, though. But going back to Marilyn Manson, you know, because he was this scary new guy, and I was never a fan. That's the thing, just real quick, to talk about me here. Can't, don't forget who's talking here. Um... I was never into Marilyn Manson, even though I was into dark music later on. Like, I, I got into metal. I got into some dark music. I was never into Marilyn Manson when I was younger. I was never into new metal. I had Sometimes I forget. Like, sometimes I think that I was into new metal, but I wasn't. I had two Limp Bizkit CDs. And that was just because it was popular. I, I really didn't give a shit about it. You know... We all went through those phases where you're just into whatever's popular. 
So I had a couple Limp Biscuit CDs at one point because it was popular, but I sometimes trick myself into thinking that I like new metal. I never, beyond like a couple Limp Biscuit CDs, which rap metal, whatever that is, I never owned any corn. I never owned any new metal albums. And I don't say that from a, you know, I, don't, I say that with no pride because I like plenty of shitty stuff, but I never actually liked new metal. I never owned any new metal. I never listened to any. But I never, I was never into Marilyn Manson either. I never went through any kind of mall goth phase, anything like that. But when Marilyn Manson was new and on the scene, you know, a lot of lore developed around him because he was shocking and scary and, you know, kids naturally invented stories about him. What's funny about him, though, is a few years later, like some, you know, whenever Bowling for Columbine came out, you know, there's that interview he does in it where he's like, I would have done what nobody was willing to do. I would have listened to them. I would have listened to them. And what's funny about that is a lot of people saw that Marilyn Manson interview, that Merlin Manson interview in Bowling for Columbine and were like, I didn't know he was so intelligent. I didn't know Marilyn Manson was so intelligent. A lot of, especially parents, like open-minded liberal parents saw Bowling for Columbine. And in the same way that that story about Little Bow Wow echoed through the locker bay that one day, there was a period of time after Bowling for Columbine came out when you just hear it echo in conversations or people would be like, did you know Marilyn Manson? He's really intelligent. I didn't know he was so intelligent. They were so impressed by his interview in Bowling for Columbine. I would have listened to them. I would have done what nobody else would do. I would have listened to them. I would have listened to them. You know, people were so impressed by that interview. And it's funny to me, like, did you think Marilyn Manson was stupid? Like, I was never a fan of him, but it was obvious, like, he's, he's very, everything he did was very deliberate. He's obviously good at marketing himself. He obviously had a very deliberate aesthetic. He's an artist. Did you think that Marilyn Manson was like some buffoon before the Bowling for Columbine interview? Did you think like, think about the way that cartoon, like when a cartoon used to show a stupid character, like when a cartoon would depict a buffoon, they would show them with like rounded teeth and their tongue hanging out of their head, like blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, did you think Marilyn Manson was like some buffoon with rounded teeth, just like, and like googly eyes being like, blah, 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 blah. What did you think he was? Did you think he was an idiot? Did you did you think Marilyn Manson was like the village idiot? Because it was so funny because people saw that interview and they couldn't stop talking about it. Like parents in particular, maybe because parents had been introduced to the idea of him and they were just like, oh, this, this, this scary Marilyn. Did they think Marilyn Manson was like a wild animal? And they saw this interview and they were like, I, I just, I didn't know he was so intelligent. It's, it's amazing. He's just so intelligent. Just so funny to me that that was a shock to people. It turns out Marilyn Manson expresses himself eloquently. That's the stuff that stands out to me about people is that they're blown away by Marilyn Manson giving an intelligent interview about teen angst and violence. I would have listened to them. And it, that... Bowling for Columbine has aged so poorly, and I haven't watched it, but I mean, I've seen it, of course. I've seen it. Everybody from my age range has probably seen Bowling for Columbine at least three times. You'd go over to someone's house and they'd be like, do you want to watch Bowling for Columbine? People just love to watch it. Somebody bought it for me. Somebody bought me Bowling for Columbine at one point. It's like a stocking stuffer. (laughs) People owned it. Like a lot of people owned Bowling for Columbine. You'd go over to people's houses. Like this was like the start of the DVD era. I don't know anybody who owned Bowling for Columbine on VHS, but you'd go over to like fam, like a, like, like a family's home, a family's house, and you'd look at their DVD collection, like their their budding DVD collection when families were first buying DVDs. And I feel like I feel like ninety percent of families owned Bowling for Columbine in their first generation of DVD purchases. Like, I'd be curious, like, 
Bowling for Columbine was probably one of the first 10 DVDs that a lot of families bought. It was like a family. It was like a movie you watch with your family or something. And your parents comment afterward. I, I just didn't know Marilyn Manson. I didn't know Marilyn Manson was so intelligent. I thought he was just like this buffoon sticking his tongue out on stage while a creepy guy goes around in the shadows of the mosh pit sticking people with AIDS needles. But uh, you go to people's houses. like So I feel like everybody of my in my age range has seen Bowling for Columbine at least three times. And I don't need to ever see it again, of course. But my memory of it, it's aged poorly. Because the whole idea behind it was that you could reach these kids. And, you know, I was never into, like, like if there's one thing that I've never had any significant interest in, no matter how many books I read about serial killers... I've never had any interest in the hot-blooded hell that is school shooters. School shooters are some of the most uninteresting people in the world. This sort of hot-blooded pseudo-outsider anger. I've just never been, I've never found them interesting. I've never found like the speculation about them interesting. Like, well, what can we do to reach, why did he do it? What can we do to reach these kids? I've never found any of that very interesting at all. But because Columbine was so significant culturally, I did pay attention to it a little bit. Like I did, you know, I've never read a book about Columbine. I've never done that deep of a dive into them. But I have, you know, I watched some of the videos of them talking. I've read some of the things they wrote, just some of the little angry diatribes that Eric Harris wrote and things like that. But my impression is that nothing would have stopped them. Here I am. I'm doing my own bowling for Columbine here, but. I have the opposite conclusion, which is that listening to them wouldn't have done anything. I think those two kids just had a death wish. I think those two kids just wanted to kill people and be killed. And there was nothing anybody could have done to stop it. I feel like it was fated. I don't feel like Marilyn Manson, I would have done what nobody else would have done, which is listen to them. Here I am. I'm the one making him out to be a buffoon. But I don't feel like that would have made any difference. I don't feel like listening to Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold would have made a cut hair of difference. Excuse me. But anyway, enough about that. Urban legends, though, you know, I continue to be fascinated by them because on one hand... We're no longer in that era. That is a, speaking of bygone eras last night, that is a bygone era. The era of urban legends is over. It took a very specific organic form of communication travel. You ever heard of that? Organic communication travel. It took a very organic form of communication for urban legends to be created and to travel and to travel around the entire country, maybe even the world. And we just don't live in that environment anymore. We still have our other bullshit stories. And I feel like those websites like Snopes, you ever heard, oh, dude, I went to Snopes, doing a lot of reading on Snopes. But those websites like Snopes, I feel like they perfectly reflect that change because Snopes was an urban legend website. They investigated urban legends and would let you know if they were true, false, or mixed. And now they're just political propaganda platforms like Snopes perfectly reflects our culture where urban legends are gone. Urban legends are done for. And so now all it does is talk about politics because those are the new urban legends and, and they've always been urban legends, but with, with actual urban legends disappearing, we just have these like widespread, large scale political urban legends. And so it's natural that Snopes just talks about those. And perpetuates them. It's it's totally... It, it fits with the program that Snopes itself is just a political propaganda tool today. Part of this fact-checking wing of our media. But that organic way that they traveled... Because I never created one. I never created an urban legend... They're not, I, I'm, think of all the urban legends somebody tried to create and failed. Think of all the little anecdotes somebody tried to share that just died on the vine. 
So the fact that some could make it and some didn't is fascinating. The fact that some stories were so exciting. Because again, people got a thrill out of telling them, even if they were horrific. And most of them were. And they, they generally involve sex or death or AIDS needles. And it makes sense because, I mean, there were a lot of urban legends surrounding AIDS. As is clear from just this episode, just the fact that there were, there were these stories about AIDS needles being hidden in the handles of gas pumps. Which doesn't even make sense. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, how would that even stick you? Where would it be? It would have to be this tiny needle, and how would your thumb even touch it? Like, you think about a gas pump and, like, where your thumb goes and everything. And it's like, where would that needle even be that you would get pricked by it? But it's enough. Like, we know that you press something down when you're getting gas. So that was enough to, like, do, you know, that was enough for people's imaginations to just run with it. We know that you press your thumb down on something at a gas pump. Therefore, it's believable that you could press your thumb down and there's just an AIDS needle waiting for your thumb, which is hilarious. Like the idea of getting AIDS through your thumb. (laughs) That's hilarious to me. Oh, I got AIDS through my thumb. But it's like, where would that needle even be? And what kind of genius would rig that up? Like to be able to rig a needle up so that when you press a a trigger down on a gas pump handle, it would be situated just perfectly so that the syringe gets pressed down in such a way while it's entering your thumb. It just, it makes no logistical sense. But people readily believed it. And and just speaking of like logistical sense, the idea of like that guy at the concert going around sticking people with a needle in in the Merlin Manson mosh pit. Like, think about when a nurse gives you a a shot. Like, think about, like, you have to sit down. She has to situate your arm in a very specific way. A certain amount of skin has to be revealed. You have to hold still. She has to jab you very deliberately. It's difficult to do. It's It's something that would be difficult. Like, you could do it. It's not impossible to go up to somebody, an unexpected, unsuspecting person, and just jab them with a, a needle and press it down. It's not impossible, but it's not easy either. And the idea, too, of like somebody going around, they would have to have a ton of syringes, for one. They would have to have like all these syringes on them, and they would have to be very good at, at shooting people up. And they would have to choose people who have very specific parts of their body, very specific parts of flesh, unprotected. And the idea that like somebody could like invade that person's space, the person would have to be really good at giving shots to people. They would have to be a nurse, basically. Oh my God, there's a nurse. There's an evil nurse at concerts just waiting to give you AIDS, you know? And so I'll be curious if this thing about the concert last night ends up being true. And it's funny that if they, it's funny that this rumor comes around again. And it's especially, you know, it is funny in its own way if it actually happened. For the for the reasons I'm outlining here because it would be so dang difficult to do. Even though you have a lot of distracted people, the idea of just being able to go up to them and just shoot them up is crazy. I know you could do it. But it it would take a lot of skill and it would take a lot of, you'd have to have the right opportunity, I guess. But the, the way people love these stories is they're often morbid, they're often sick, and people want to believe them. They, they want to believe them, even though their intuition tells them otherwise. And they, they don't just want to believe them. They don't just want to hear them and believe them. They want to tell them to other people. It's infectious. They receive the information, and then they have a desire to share that information with other people. And the right story will just keep going. It'll, people will just keep sharing it. It's fascinating.
He's so intelligent. Oh my god, did you know Marilyn Manson? I just didn't know he was so intelligent. You hear that a lot. That line about Marilyn Manson. I'm trying to think of another situation where I heard that. But I heard that many times. I feel like I've heard people say that about rappers. I just didn't know he was so intelligent. Did you know that he's actually smart? It makes me wonder, like, what is people's impression of, of famous people? There are idiots. There are total idiots out there. There are famous people who are totally just complete morons, of course. But a lot of them are good at what they do from a marketing perspective, if nothing else. A lot of them are very aware. And so it always got me when people were shocked that somebody was intelligent who they didn't expect. Like, what does that say about their intelligence? That they thought Marilyn Manson was like a drooling Neanderthal. Oh, Marilyn Manson, that, oh, like he, that guy must be really stupid. Marilyn Manson, oh, I thought he was, I, th- I just thought he was this really stupid guy. It's like when someone finds out that a professional athlete is smart or a guy who drives a truck. Oh, he, he drives a Ford 250 and he likes professional sports. I thought he was stupid. I found out he's actually really smart. Anytime someone's shocked that somebody is smart, it says a lot more about that person than it does the person they're talking about. And it kind of goes into one of the points I always hammer home is just People operate under this belief that everybody's stupid. That everybody's like lacking some sort of fundamental awareness. The fundamental the fundamental awareness that is the basis of knowledge. You know, because true knowledge is simply awareness. When Adam and Eve, you know, gain the burden of knowledge, it's not that they read a book. It's that they're now aware and they're self-aware, which is why they cover their bodies up. That's the point the Bible is making. It's not that Adam and Eve suddenly became academically intelligent. It's not that Adam and Eve were like, it's like we got, we got a bunch of books downloaded to our brain. It's like Adam and Eve started reading a scientific journal after they took a bite out of the apples. They ate multiple apples. A lot of people don't know that, but Adam Adam and Eve ate multiple apples. They didn't. That's an urban legend. I'm creating an urban legend right there. Did you know they actually ate five apples each? Adam (laughs) Adam and Eve ate an entire apple tree. That's why they're so smart. No, but... Adam and Eve didn't just get like a scientific journal downloaded to their brain when they bit from the apple. They gained awareness, which is the basis of all knowledge. Our definition of intelligence is awareness. Like when we find out that animals are actually smart, it's not that they're academically, intellectually smart. It's that animals are aware. And if you're aware, you can learn. Because you learn through awareness. You learn through observation. And I think people operate on this baseline assumption that people out in the world are somehow lacking that fundamental awareness. And they're therefore stupid. Are you surprised that Marilyn Manson is an incredibly self-aware person? You know, is anyone surprised by that? I wasn't. But you hear people say that kind of thing a lot. I just, I just didn't know he was so smart. I, I you know, I, I just didn't know that he, he was so intelligent. I'll leave that alone now. But at the time, I just remember getting such a dirty feeling because people were saying that all the time. And it should have nothing to do with whether you like Marilyn Manson or not. I had never actually seen an interview with him before that. If I had, it was like an MTV interview in passing. But it's not like I knew Marilyn Manson was smart because I paid a bunch of attention to what he had to say before that. I just kind of assumed that he was probably, at the very least, a self-aware and an outwardly aware person. You can kind of pick up on that. Even as a kid, I just kind of picked up on that. That's what we call picking up on that. 
just something you pick up on easily if you yourself are aware. And I'm not trying to say that people are stupid for not knowing he was smart before he made this eloquent statement in Bowling for Columbine. It just kind of blows my mind that that surprises people. Surprised people like they got stuck with an AIDS needle. Now, you know what? That story, that anecdote that the kid told me about his cousin going to a, a Merlin Manson concert and a guy sneaking around shooting people up with a needle, I know exactly what was in that syringe. It was awareness. <laughs> when those people got shot up with a syringe at a Marilyn Manson concert, they suddenly realized that Marilyn Manson's intelligent. All these people in the mosh pit suddenly just stood there slack-jawed, and they were like, I didn't know he was intelligent. Oh my god. I didn't know that Marilyn Manson knows what he's doing. I didn't know that he thinks about things. But, um... Now, he, he was a popular target for urban legends, though. I'm trying to think of some other people. I mean, obviously bands in general. I mean, there's so much mythology and lore about music and bands that a lot of the stories you heard... I mean, I, I heard the story... I think it was like there was a story about like Mick Jagger. It was like, you know, Mick Jagger collapsed at a party in the 1970s and they had to pump his stomach and he, his stomach was filled with cum. There was a lot of really grotesque stuff. There was, I think people told that story about Elton John. There were a lot of stories about rock stars partying. Not just about their antics like, oh, do you know Jimmy Page and Robert Plant's? destroyed an entire did you know they took a piano and not threw it out of a window of a hotel room you know, you'd hear stuff like that like there's the partying stories which i don't know how many of those are true and how many aren't because i find them so uninteresting the least interesting thing about rock stars is their partying antics it's not just the stories like that but there were a lot of stories about like because the one about like a rock star a male rock star being hospitalized after a night of partying and them having to pump his stomach because it was so filled with cum. That one was used for a bunch of different people. I heard it once growing up. And then later when I got the internet, I remember looking up that, I remember looking up different stories. And one of them was that story told in different variations. I believe there was a story about little Kim. There was a story that little Kim about females too, of course. That little Kim sucked so many dickies one night that they had to pump her stomach. It was so filled with cum that she was going to die. So people really like this idea that rock and roll stars and R&B and rap stars, pop stars, they really like this idea that celebrities are sucking so many dickies that they have to have their stomach pumped. That one made its rounds. People liked that. A lot of them involve cum, I guess, because that story about the girl in school that I heard it turned out to be widespread. That involved cum as well. A lot of them, of course, a lot of them involve innuendo and sex. Again, just a lot of them involve sex and death. Stories involve the mosh pit too. Like that one that my friend told me about Marilyn Manson, needles, and the mosh pit was kind of a combination of, of multi, it was kind of a crossover urban legend, because you would hear stories about all of those things independently. Because people would talk about the mosh pit. They'd be like, oh, my cousin went to a, a Metallica show, and this happened in the mosh pit. A guy, a guy got killed in the mosh pit. This guy got trampled to death in the mosh pit. The mosh pit was this place of great chaos and mystery. The way people talked about the mosh pit was like it was hell. <laughs> And maybe it is, but the way they talked about it was like it was, you're basically descending into hell. And anything and everything can happen. And yeah, people get roughed up and all that. That's real. I mean, it, it is people thrashing around. It is chaotic. But people talked about it like anything and everything horrible was going to happen. The only weird thing that I ever saw at a concert, the only like serious, the only thing that seriously disturbed me at a concert was... When I saw Danzig about 20 years ago, 
there was this couple there and the guy was really tall and he, he had like a flannel shirt on and a jacket tied around his waist. So he looked like he was wearing, I mean, he looked like he was dressed like an Arab or something. He looked like he was wearing these flowing robes because he had like a baggy jacket tied around his waist and he was in a big baggy flannel shirt. And then he, his hair was like, it was like he grew out a bowl cut and bleached it. It's like he grew out a bowl cut down to his chin and bleached it. And he had a goatee. And he was really like incredibly tall. And he was with this like trashy looking girlfriend. And they were all over each other. Like I noticed them right away. Like even though there were all kinds of weird people there, I noticed them. It's just like the cartoon boulder effect that Miles always talks about where they just stood out. Even though there were all kinds of people that looked weird, this couple, for whatever reason, stood out to me immediately when I got to the show. And so I just, I noticed them. I was aware of them. And when Danzig was playing, the friend I was with nudged me and he was like, look back there. And we looked behind us and in the back of the room, this couple, they were up against the wall and he had his back to the wall and she was like in his arms because they, they were like, it was like they were wrapped around each other the entire time. Like the entire, t every time you saw them, it was like they were one entity, like one of those couples. It's like a, the it's like the gross alternative couple in high school who were just always all over each other. They were like that and they were ugly. They were ugly. But it was like, she was, she was like a lot shorter than him. And so like she was standing in front of him with her back to his chest and he had his arms wrapped around her the entire time. And my friend nudged me and he was like, look back there. And because he was so much taller than her, he could kind of like loom over her and he had a long neck. <laughs> and he, so he had like, he had like put his neck like over her and they were making out, but in this weird way where like their heads were like their heads were going in the opposite direction. I don't know if I'm describing this right, <laughs> but it was like their lips were locked at this weird angle and they were like making out. It was like they were, it was like, it was like watching baby birds at feeding time. And the way he was positioned so that he was like behind her and her back was to his chest. So she was tilting her head back and he was leaning his head over her and they were making out that way. And they were like moving around, like they weren't having sex or anything. They weren't having sex or anything. I looked back there, and he he was jabbing her with an AIDS needle. <laughs> I looked back there, and he was jabbing her with an AIDS needle. Um, I looked back there though, and it was like they were like dancing to the music, sort of not dancing, but like gyrating to the music. And they were up against the wall, and like making out, like just animals. And it, it was so odd. <laughs> it, it was noteworthy enough that my friend in the middle of a Danzig song nudged me and told me to look. And it was worth looking at because I just looked back there and it was like, it would have been less gross if they were just screwing each other. It would have been less disturbing if they were just naked having sex back there. But the fact that he was like lurching over her and she was tilting her head back and they were just making out like baby birds at feeding time. And you could see like with their mouths, it's not like they were, their lips weren't locked. It was like both of their mouths were like wide open on each other's mouths. And it was horrific. That was the most fucked up thing I ever saw at a concert. And I saw a guy get brutalized at that concert, not because of the mosh pit. This shitty like new metal slab, like there was this whole branch of like hardcore bands who were more new metal than they were hardcore. And Danzig started playing with bands like that. They were called Chimera. They were like metallic hardcore, but they kind of had a new metal sort of thing going on. So like the openers were awful. But during the Chimera set, there was this guy who got up front. And I think he tried to like punch the singer. And so security grabbed him. And they just carried him out this side door. And they just threw him onto hard concrete. I'm not even kidding. They just threw this guy onto hard concrete and the guy was bleeding. Like they could have killed him. And he is, he was just laying there for a while. He didn't die. He didn't get hospitalized, but security just grabbed him and they like lifted him up above their heads. 
like almost like what do you call it like speaking of mosh pits like they almost uh, like almost like crowd surfed him security like almost crowd surfed this guy and they just threw him and he was just laying there you could see him outside the doors just laying there i don't think he was unconscious but it was the most brutal thing i've ever seen i'm not even kidding it was the most brutal thing i've ever seen so that show was noteworthy in two ways the most disturbing thing I ever saw, which was this couple making out like disgusting baby birds. And he was like this giant giraffe wearing Arab clothes, flannel Arab clothes, Arab robes with a really long bowl cut bleached and a goatee making out with his short white trash girlfriend. Like that was the most disturbing thing I've, I've ever seen. And the most brutal thing I've ever seen is this guy who tried to take a swing at the Chimera singer. And security just like lifted him up above their heads and just threw him onto concrete. Like he had to have hurt, like he had to have broken something. And nobody did anything because it was just like, I guess he deserved it. Like he had to have broken some part of his body. He had to have been severely injured in some way. But he eventually, I, think, I mean, he was obviously drunk. So that was noteworthy. And while he was laying, well, the craziest thing of all, though, was as he was laying there, this guy snuck out of the shadows and just stuck him with an AIDS needle. <laughs> this land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children Free. So take.